On today's episode, we're going to be talking about five things that fuel spiritual indifference on Soul Zero Two. And welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And today we're going to talk about five things that fuel spiritual indifference. Now, in the apocalyptic scene in the, in the Lord of the Rings, uh, I think it was part two, uh, th- there's an incredible scene where Saruman's evil minions, they breach the unbreachable wall of Helm's Deep. Uh, King Theoden uttered in a bewildering tone, how did it come to this? And I believe that every generation asks that question when there's a big crisis, when there's a big disaster and catastrophe and war and, and all these things. How did it come to this? And this sounds a lot like, how did we get here, right? How did it come to this? And this is something we say when we finally realize an undesirable situation, like a pilot who miscalculated his route or her route and finds themselves hundreds of miles off course. You wonder, how did we get here? How did this happen? And in our previous time together, we we talked about the dangers of spiritual indifference and, and how God uh, in His mercy goes after us and, and gets us back to the place where we care about the things that He cares about, chiefly the eternal things. So today we, we want to discuss five factors that fuel spiritual indifference and how God can help us overcome them. And I'm going to try to be as short as I can because it's, it is five points. But, but um, And I could have done much more. But uh, like most negative outcomes, spiritual indifference does not happen overnight any more than a fit person suddenly puts on 50 pounds. Whether consciously or unconsciously, mindsets and choices were adopted and small pivots in one direction or another occurred over time. So what are some of the elements that might get a person to a state of spiritual indifference. And just as a note, uh, there's there's a lot more than just five. I'm just giving you five that, that I, I think are important, at least important to me. And the first one is trauma. And I, I chose trauma because as a fuel of spiritual indifference because I want to get that out of the way because sometimes we go through things and we didn't ask to go through that thing and we became hard of heart or we became insensitive towards God in that season. And that's why I want to talk about trauma for a little bit, because uh, in a sense, it, it it wasn't your fault that the trauma maybe you know caused you to grow cold to God, but God can still deal with it. So trauma, think about trauma for a minute. The psalmist once said, in my distress, and there's a scripture for that, he said, in my distress... All, I, I said all people are liars. And I've read this thing a, a thousand times, but it never hit me the way it did the past couple of years. How often haven't you you said that? Or maybe maybe I've said it. In your distress, all people are liars. And which simply means that when we go through emotional seasons, we become hardened and insensitive to what we usually care about. And he became very angry because he was seeing the prosperity of the wicked, basically, and, 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 and he felt like he was just standing still. 
But all painful experiences possess the inherent potential of leaving us shell-shocked and disoriented so that the world's spinning, right? And to the point where we become numb to our deepest hell convictions. And like a dead nerve that is insensitive to feeling, a painful experience can make us callous to things that we would usually feel acutely. In this case, the presence of God in our lives. And again, if you've gone through a trauma, God doesn't fault you for the trauma. You know, he, he, that This is why He goes after us. But sometimes trauma can numb us to the things of God and can cause us to become cold to the things of God. And it takes God's grace to bring someone out of that wounded heart and into a place of healing where they can again be able to care about the things that He cares about. Again, in Psalm 73, the psalmist was shocked out of his trauma that was fueled by the age-old question, why do these wicked people prosper and why, why do the poor suffer, right? So this is what he said in Psalm 73. When my heart was, was sad, I was angry. I was senseless and stupid. I acted like an animal toward you, but I am always with you. You have held my hand. What an encouraging scripture when we wrestle with God. If you're, if you're an honest person, you have fought with God. You, you've wrestled with God. You've been angry at God, if you're really honest. And God, that, that doesn't shock him because he loves us. So imagine him. He, he, he basically tells God, I was acting like an animal to you. Forgive me, I was wrong. And then he said, but I'm always with you. And then he, he notices that God held his hand. What a beautiful way to put it when you think about it. And... So do you see it? Even in our unhinged moments where we become unglued from all of our spiritual moorings, God holds our hand until we get through that trauma. That's how much He loves us. So it's not just trauma, however, that we suffer, but it is also this. Uh, Disobedience can fuel an indifferent heart. And in fact, that's probably the first one that is our fault, that, that fuels an indif- uh, uh, indifference, that, that, that makes our heart cold and, and lukewarm towards God. And disobedience, now it has been said that, for instance, that the parables were given to reveal divine truth to those who will obey it and to hide the truth from those who, who would disobey it. Because God is so loving that he, he doesn't want us to enter into judgment for for for. For truth, so he, he'll hide it unless we're serious about him. It's better not to know a truth and be free of the judgment than that, that it's that its knowledge brings rather than it is to know that truth and disobey that truth. Thus, Paul, when he spoke to the disobedient as 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 those he described them this way, as, as those that by their wickedness they suppress the truth, meaning the truth of God. When we disobey God and, and we go do our own thing, we are suppressing the truth. We're, we're, we're holding the truth down. And that is a very serious uh, charge here that, that God uh, is, is giving disobedient people. And the people Paul was talking to in the Romans, they were guilty because they knew the truth but defiantly disobeyed it by their continue, continual sinning. And when we suppress the truth... By continuing to live sinful lives, our hearts 
that were once sensitive to the truth become numb to the things of God. How many Christians do you know? And maybe you're watching this and and you're you're away from God. You've gone away from God. And you are insensitive to the things that maybe once you were sensitive to. And once in a while, you get a prick of conviction when you hear a song or you hear someone really preaching the truth or someone testifying their story and something hits you that you still have that that small little window of, of sensitivity to God. But think about it. Have you maybe suppressed the truth by continuing to live your life when God says, that's not the life I want for you? But there's good news. If you have become hardened and insensitive to God, God specializes in going after disobedient people. And He does it with love. I mean, it may hurt, but He does it with love. Think about the parable of the lost sheep and how the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go after the one sheep. That's what God promises to do. He goes after the root of disobedience in our life. And he sees us as the one lost sheep, and he goes after us because he loves us. This is why in Hosea 14.4, he promises this. He said, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger, mine anger, is turned away from him. And so this is God talking to the people he just judged. Yes, he judges them, and yes, he can be hard on them. But he loves them like you wouldn't believe, in, in, in the Old Testament that is. But another thing that fuels spiritual indifference is this, self-focus. Now, I don't think I have to make a big case to that, but we as Americans and as Westerners, we are self-focused, man. It's all about me. It's what I want and, and have it my way, right? And, and we find that, that uh, one of the beautiful features of God's design is that he created us as individuals who are unique as one snowflake is from another, right? And it's okay to be unique and different and and to have a personality and, and to say, I'm here, right? However, Western culture has twisted human individuality into this self-centered, it's all about me idea. And just look at how social media has placed individuality on steroids. And people are judged by how many likes and subscriptions they get. And uh, in fact, there are YouTube influencers who, who make multiple millions of dollars simply on their personality. And I've seen them uh, do great and then fall really hard w- when the public turned against them. And without the personality, what, what do they have really, right? So self-focus can easily contribute to spiritual indifference by placing the individual at the center of the universe instead of God. And worship can become a consumer affair clustered around whether the individual, right, the consumer, me, was satisfied with the church experience or whether or not God is actually satisfied with how I worshipped him, which is the real question we should be asking, right? So how does God reset our focus so that he ceases to be indifferent in the face of our self-centeredness? And I'm sure there's more than one way, more than one way, but by showing us who He is, whenever God revealed His glory in the Scriptures, even indirectly, people always fell in awe, and they awakened out of this complacency, and they awakened out of this this uh, self-absorbed kind of uh, personality, and people always fell in awe of God. And in fact, in in the book of Isaiah, 
Uh, there's a beautiful scripture in, in Isaiah where that says this, where where uh, where God declared this in Isaiah 42, where He said, "I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images." And this is a powerful scripture when you think about it, because God is it's telling you who He is, and and when you see who He is, you realize, hey, without Him, I'm nothing. Because he's my creator. He's God. And so when John, in, in, in the book of Revelation, saw Christ, he fell, the Bible says, as one dead. So there's this awe that takes away the attention from just me and what I want. A revelation of God resets our petty inward focus and on, away from ourselves and onto the one who deserves the real focus, which is God. And I, I believe another way also that God helps us from our self-centeredness is by persecution, which is, we could talk about that all day. But another one that fuels indifference is this, prosperous ease, right? Prosperous ease. And uh, prosperous ease is something that, that uh, it's a scriptural term that, that simply means when you have all this stuff and you're happy in your life and you don't care about what's happening in the world, and that's when you are most vulnerable to become indifferent. No doubt God has called us to prosper and flourish as is no creation. He wants to bless us, and it's both a privilege right, and, and a mandate in the garden to go flourish, right? Go multiply, go be blessed, right? In Ezekiel, however, we discover what happens when when prosperity becomes the thing in our lives. And he puts it this way, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. And, and by the way, it, in most cultural, cultural talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, people always think, well, it's just, it was just their, their sexual perversion that that's why God burned it, because you know, of sexual perversion. But watch this carefully. He says, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom and her daughters, and her daughters. They had pride, excess food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. So this was another thing, right? We know that there were many, many reasons why God destroyed it, but but this was one of the other things. Because often we, we cherry-pick sins and say, well, that was the sin. But this was a major thing, that they had prosperous ease, but did not care for the poor. And so, very few things make us softer than having too much. Prosperous ease is not unlike when a battle-hardened soldier becomes soft or when a wealthy person, becomes, uh, because of their excess, becomes complacent, no longer needing God or caring about a broken world. King David experienced this very thing when he stopped going to the battles as the leader and kind of got comfortable and started hanging out in his palace and just resting. And one night he walked on his rooftop and he saw a beautiful woman bathing in in her home. And and he was inflamed with lust and he went and got her and 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 had relations with her and gotten, you know, the rest is dark history, right? So but fortunately God loves us too much, so much that he's not going to let us just get away with that because he loves us. And he won't let us be complacent in our sins. So he won't let us continue to be overfed and lethargic in our attitude. God did this for King David when he sent Nathan the prophet 
to confront King David. And that's a whole story. You know, Nathan almost tricked him uh, into a- admitting how wrong it was by, by making David, by, by speaking of David in the third person without saying a name, and saying that was this guy that did this. And David was very, very incensed by it. Uh, but the point is, is that David, when he heard that story, it was like a shock to his system when he realized that he was the one who was in sin, that he was the one who, who was in trouble. And and so I'm going to give you two more, and we're going to close it out today. But here, here's another one that that uh, that fuels uh, spiritual indifference, and that is this overstimulation. And and this is not my idea. I um I, I read a great article by uh, I think it was a Catholic priest or a monk about about overstimulation in our culture and how how that can make us um, uh, spiritually soft, basically. But have you ever been to an amusement park? Right, I went as a boy, and as soon as you get there, you kind of buy tickets uh, for every ride you want, right? And usually, by the time you use all your tickets up, you are drained and exhausted, and you are not just physically tired by by the experience, but your whole auditory and visual systems are wiped out from overstimulation. Overstimulation is when our senses become so bombarded with sights and sounds that our nerves become overtaxed and overly sensitive to the slightest sound or visual. And and this is how we are today. I believe that since the world is filled with stimuli, right, TV, radio, earpods, virtual reality, social media, you name it, there's always something to keep you on and to keep you stimulated. And so here's what happens, right? We get to the point where we're overwhelmed to the point where all the tickets we purchased are now spent and we have nothing left, no energy left, nothing left for God. And I believe that overstimulation can make us numb to God, to hearing His voice, because we're filling our lives with all this noise, excess noise. And when all of our valuable energy is expended, there is nothing left to care about at the end of the day, including God. So this, this is what I mean by overstimulation can cause us to become insensitive to God. In the scriptures, however, God calls us. Uh, he, he calls many of these stimuli, rather, idolatry, because they rob people of, of what should be sol- solely reserved for Him. Now, it doesn't matter whether, whether an idol was something that you, you, uh, you know, Worshipped physically, there's something physically in the Old Testament. It's the same thing as today. Our idols are far more refined and abstract. There's no difference, really. We have idolatry today more than ever. And God often causes His children to shed the things that dominate their hearts, their eyes and their ears. God allows us to go through experiences that in the end render our dalliances, right, our playful kind of times with with these idols, unimportant and Him supreme. So I'm going to close by saying this, that in the end, how it came to this, the way we started, right? How did it come to this? Will not be as important a question as whether we allow God to bring us back from our spiritual indifference. May God awaken us out of any spiritual stupors we have been experiencing in our lives. So I want you to check out our website, soul02.com, and check us out on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, and we have... I think 
probably close to 100 videos up now and I'm trying to build them up and and uh, I'm doing these over the summer just to just to keep it going a little bit because I'm taking a bit of a break but come September we're, we're going to crank it up again and give us a like subscribe to our channel and recommend it to a friend and thanks so much for being with us it's a pleasure being with you god bless